Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. All right, we're going to have some fun this morning, hey? Because church should be fun. Church shouldn't be boring. And I'm going to start this morning with a confession. Now I've got your attention, don't I? Now I've got your attention. I'm going to start with a confession. As a family, the Bennetts like watching Bondi Rescue. Stop judging me. Stop judging me. Any other sneaky Bondi Rescue watchers out there? A few. A few. It's, uh, I love watching Bondi Rescue for a few different reasons. One of them is I love actually watching my son, Riley, my youngest, because he just has a knack of coming out with random things at various different times. And so I remember we were watching Bondi Rescue uh, oh, probably a week or so ago now, and one of the lifeguards actually nosedived their rescue board, and Riley just looks at it and laughs and goes, get wrecked. I'm like, cool, don't come and save me, buddy. I love Bondi Rescue for the, the, the camaraderie of the lifeguards. I love the way that they, uh, they get on together, that they play practical jokes on each other, the tight-knit community that that is. I love, just relatively speaking, the small number of lifeguards that there are watching over large crowds of people. They might only have a dozen lifeguards on, but there might be 20,000 people on the beach, which is amazing when you think about it. I love watching Bondi Rescue just to see the rescues that they perform. And I love it just seeing the various different things, the various different situations that they always find themselves in. Most episodes always, or not always, most episodes will show the lifeguard's routine. So when they get there first thing in the morning, their first job is to go up and down the beach and put out the flags to show where it's safe to swim. And they put up signs warning people. And the signs that they normally put up are dangerous currents. They're trying to say to the people, hey guys, there's an issue here. Be careful here. The dangerous currents signs are out. The problem, Bondi Beach is actually quite small. We think of it as being, you know, it's the most iconic beach in Australia, but it's actually only a kilometre in length. And when you put 20,000 people into a distance of about a kilometre in length, finding a patch of sand or finding some water to actually go into can be a problem. So that means that the actual flags that they put up, which is the safe zone to swim, is actually quite narrow as well. And so because of the number of people and because of the narrowness of the flags, people tend to just swim wherever they want. Now, that, again, it's amazing to think a dangerous current sign is right there and you see it being filmed. It says dangerous currents and then there's people literally 
right behind it. And you'd look at it and you'd go, really? Surely the sign is enough to not go there. And yet, more than 5,000 rescues are performed every summer on Bondi. Either people see the sign and don't realise it, don't care, whatever. But the bigger issue that often happens on Bondi Beach is what the current causes. You see, the problem is, is that the current causes drift. And people may not want to be swimming in the area that says dangerous currents, but the current takes them to a dangerous place. See, at Bondi Beach, there's actually a number of sandbanks that are there. And most people go out on the sandbanks, they're fine, they're in water up to about their chest, everything is good. The problem is, is that the current takes them off the edge of the sandbank. They've drifted into a place where they don't want to be and all of a sudden can find themselves in trouble. You know, whenever we use the word drift, it's not usually used in a positive sense. Have you noticed that? We talk about drifting in the ocean or drifting in the river as in moving away. We talk about, well, when I was at school, I was to always told about the early explorers of Australia and how some of them drifted off course into danger. For some people, please don't put your hands up. Driving down a multi-lane highway is difficult because we drift out of our lane. Even just this week, I had to respond to an alarm call-out. And I went home and I thought, great, it's done with, now I can go to sleep. Only I didn't. I drifted in and out and in. Anyone had one of those nights? You're just drifting in and out of sleep. You don't sleep properly. You don't wake up feeling refreshed the next day. See, drift isn't actually a positive thing. Drift, drifting is dangerous to yourself and to others. Think about that car in that lane. You move outside your lane, it's causing issues. Drifting is often unconscious. You're not aware that you're doing it. And so you find yourself in places that you don't want to be. Drifting always goes with the current, which is away from where you want to be, and drifting always happens over time. So just like drifting is not positive in the natural, it's also not positive in our Christian lives. When we think about it at times, what we see in the natural with things drifting also applies to us and our relationship with God. There are times when we're really close and there are times where sometimes we just drift away. You know, from our recent Jonah series, we saw that Jonah had a very active no. God asked Jonah to do something and Jonah said no and ran in the opposite direction. I want to say to you today that if you're drifting in your spiritual life, you're also saying no. But it's not an active no. It's a passive no. When we're drifting in our spiritual life, we're moving away from the things of God, not towards them. And often, if we're not careful, just drifting and that passive no 
can end up in the same place as an active no. So we need to be careful with our drift. In Hebrews 2 verse 1, it says, So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. A little bit of context about Hebrews. You know, we actually don't know who the author of Hebrews is. We know that he was a contemporary of Paul's and Timothy's because they're mentioned in the book, but we don't, can't 100% say the author is this person. We actually don't even know 100% who the letter was written to. What we do know is that it was written to a group of Hebrew people. So they were people who were Jews, who knew all about the temple and knew all of God's laws. They had become Christians through what had happened, obviously, with Jesus. And then they were living outside of Palestine, which is the land where Jerusalem is the capital. So they were living far away. They had experienced some persecution and they knew that they were about to experience some more. And because of that, because of that knowledge, hey, persecution is coming, it was actually causing those Hebrew people to drift. They were actually looking away from God and trying to find a way out rather than looking to him for their strength. See, the dangerous current that they were experiencing was causing them to drift. And in Hebrews chapter 1, the writer goes to great lengths to talk about the supremacy of Christ, having a high view of Christ. He talks about Jesus being greater than the prophets and greater than the angels and greater than anything else we can experience. That's the whole of Hebrews 1. And then Hebrews 2 starts with, now listen carefully, so that we don't drift. And I don't know about you, but often in my life, I will start to drift away from God when I lose my high view of Jesus. You see, if I make Jesus all about being my friend, and he is, he is my friend, but if I only make it about him being my friend, I lose my high view of God. If I only talk about Jesus, my brother, and scripture says he is my brother, but if I only talk about Jesus as my brother, I lose my high view of God. If I keep my eye on Jesus as my Lord and Saviour, I keep my high view of God. And when I have that high view of God, it helps me to stop drifting. You see, I don't know about you, but when I'm with God, when I have that high view, I just love spending time with God. I love reading my Bible because I get to know more about him. I love praying because I get to speak with him. I love being with God's people. I love attending church. I love coming to All In this Tuesday night, seven o'clock, don't forget. I love coming to All In. I love being with God's people. But when I start drifting, I find that my focus shifts. You see, instead of wanting to be with God and pray and read my Bible, 
as I drift away, my desire to do those things gets less. And I then get into a self-defeating cycle. Because as I move away from God, my desire to be with him is less. And so therefore, I move further away from God. And as I've moved further away from God, my desire to be with him is less. And so I move further away from God. For me, how do I recognize when I'm drifting? I see my focus change. My focus changes from wanting to be with God to moving away from him. And of course, with a focus change, you don't just stop focusing on God, you start focusing on something else. And so as I stop focusing on God, as I'm drifting away, my focus moves more to the things of this world. And right now, I'm in a dangerous current that's pulling me away from the things that God has for me. When my focus shifts from God to the things of this world, I start substituting. When I'm with God, I find my identity in Him. But as I drift away from Him, I substitute that and I try and find my identity in other things. I try to find my identity through work, through social status, through the car that I drive, perhaps. When I'm with God, I get my approval from Him. But as I drift, I look to the things of this world to give me approval. Rather than wanting God's well done, good and faithful servant, I end up looking over here at the world going, hey, affirm me, approve me, make me feel good about myself. When I'm with God, it's all about him. My, my agenda is about pleasing him, working with him. But as I drift away, as my focus shifts towards the things of the world, my agenda comes back to me. What do I want? How am I going to do this? And so we can always know if we're drifting by where our focus is. I find that I start resubscribing to things that we were talking about in our PM series just recently. When I drift away from God, I resubscribe to comparison. I may have unsubscribed, but now I'm resubscribing. Why? What, how does that happen? Because when I'm here, there's a godly contentment to my life. But as my focus shifts, all of a sudden I've lost my godly contentment and so therefore I'm resubscribing to comparison. I resubscribe to anxiety. It's not that I want to resubscribe to anxiety, but what's happened is, is that I've lost my godly peace from being over here and so all of a sudden my anxiety rises. I resubscribe to shame. Again, I don't want to have shame in my life, 
But as I look to the world, as the current has pulled me away from God, as I look to the world, I have this rising sense of hypocrisy. I know what God says, but I'm not doing it. And because of that rising sense of hypocrisy, I have a rising sense of shame in my life as well. I resubscribe to living offended. Why? Because I've lost the desire to forgive. And then all of a sudden, I'm in a space that I didn't want to be. How do we recognize if we're drifting? Look to your focus. What are you focused on? What are you resubscribing to? Because to be honest with you, in my life, they're the things that show me that I'm drifting. I don't recognize, oh, look, I'm drifting. What I recognize is, oh, you know what? All in's coming and and I'm not sure if I want to go. Ah, drift. Because when I'm with God, I want to be with God's people. I've drifted and I need to arrest my drift. More often than not, it's what I'm seeing in my life that's showing me that I'm drifting, not that I'm recognising drifting in and of itself. So the question then obviously comes, now that we've recognised that we're drifting, how do we stop the drift? Again, the first thing, be alert. From Bondi Rescue, watching Bondi Rescue, the lifeguards are always alert. They're always on their post. They're always scanning. They might have someone talking to them, but they're always looking. They're always alert. They're always ready for action. Why? Because they know the dangers of Bondi Beach and they're looking out for the people that are there. Do you know what? They're actually more alert than the people themselves. The lifeguards have to be alert because the people themselves aren't even looking, don't even know. And that's part of leadership's role in our lives. Sometimes we're not alert for ourselves and we need a leader in our life to be alert for us. But what I know is that you can't always live in that space. You can't always be expecting someone else to be alert for you. We need to be alert for ourselves. In 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says, stay alert. There you go. (laughs) Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. We need to understand that we have a very real enemy. And just like God has a plan for your life, the devil has a plan for your life. The devil wants to steal from you. The devil wants to kill you. And the devil wants to destroy you. That's why he prowls around like a roaring lion. Now, the devil has a very certain future. He knows what his future is going to be. But for right now, he has an authority that we need to be aware of, that we need to be alert to, and that we need to stand against. Do you know that the devil's hatred of you is actually not necessarily personal against you? 
It's actually by association. If you've ever thought, well, what have I ever done to the devil? Well, possibly nothing. But by association, the devil hates you. You see, God loves you. And the devil hates God. And so therefore, he knows that the only way that he can get at God is to get at you. The Bible says that when we become Christians, Christ actually lives in us. And so it's not, you know, me personally, it's the Christ in me that the enemy doesn't like. And just like most predators, you know, in that scripture, we're talking about a lion. Like most predators, the devil is always willing or always looking to pick off the person who's drifted away from everyone else. And that's why we need to be so aware, so alert of these dangerous currents. In Ephesians 6.11, it says, put on the full armour of God to take your stand against the devil's schemes. What are these schemes? They are the dangerous currents. The schemes of the enemy are the things that are going to cause you to drift away from God. And the thing is, is that not every current works on every person in this case. So we need to know what are we susceptible to. We know that we're susceptible to something. We know that there's something that's going to cause us to drift. We need to know what that is in our lives so that we can be alert to that. What is it for you? Maybe it's the current of addiction. Alcohol, drugs that take you away from God. Maybe it's the current of materialism. Making sure that you've got the nice house, the nice car, the nice boat. Maybe that's what takes you away from the presence of God. Maybe it's the associated current of debt. Maybe we've made some bad decisions and everything financially keeps trying to pull us away from what God has for us. Maybe it's just the current of work. Every time work comes up, it gets in the way of your relationship with God. Whatever the current is for you, be alert to it and make sure that you're making a stand against it. You see, there is a difference between being aware and alert. Going back to Bondi Rescue, Every few episodes, there's a distraught parent at the tower saying that they lost their child. No one goes to Bondi planning on losing a child. They're aware of where their children are or should have been, but they're not alert to what is actually happening. We need to move from awareness to being alert, to standing guard to make sure that we don't drift. The second thing to stop the drift is be anchored. Just like a ship puts out an anchor that hooks into the sea floor to stop it from drifting, we need to do the same thing with our life. In Hebrews 6 verse 19, it says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. This hope 
What hope is that? Well, if you read the preceding verses, it actually talks about the hope we have in the promises of God. The promises of God are actually the hope that we have moving forward. It was talking about the promises made to Abraham. And because we are all Abraham's descendants, the promises actually apply to us. And so because the hope is the promises of God, it's way more than what we normally say about hope. When I normally use the word hope, it's normally more in a wishful thinking kind of realm. Gee, I hope I get a million dollars today. Well, maybe, but highly unlikely. Or maybe when I use the word hope, it's more in a uh, just remembering for myself. Gee, I, I hope I remember to bring the washing in before the rain comes. But that's not the hope that this scripture is talking about. The hope that this scripture is talking about, it says that it's strong and trustworthy. Other translations actually say sure and steadfast. See, this is a hope. The promises of God are a given. They're a guarantee in our lives. They're a certainty. This isn't wishful thinking. This is guaranteed, sworn with an oath, going to happen. And it's great that we have this hope as an anchor but our anchor also then needs to be firmly attached. Did you see in the scripture that it says firmly attached through the curtain? Now, I don't know about you, but through a curtain for an anchor doesn't sound very securely attached. What's happening here is that it's actually a reference back to the temple. You see, in the temple, in the inner sanctuary, there were two rooms. There was the holy place, and the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And the holy of holies contained the Ark of the Covenant. And once a year, the high priest was able to go into the holy of holies and meet with God face to face. You see, when it says in Hebrews that this anchor goes through the curtain... That's actually the very same curtain that when Christ was crucified was torn from top to bottom. It's the same curtain that was ripped open so that every single person now has free access to God through what Jesus did. So what's this scripture actually saying? This scripture is saying that our hope is our anchor and it's anchored in the very presence of God. The promises of God actually lead us to the very presence of God. And that's the anchor for our life. I don't know about you, but for me, that's great news. It means that that end is secure. It means that end is guaranteed. It means that I have a confidence in God that I'm anchored securely. And I don't have to worry about my dangerous currents. But you might be sitting there this morning saying, hey, well, Ash, I, I sort of get that and I get what you're saying, but I don't feel secured. I don't feel anchored. Where's, where's the problem? Let's try on the other end of the chain. Because on the other end of the chain is where we are. And as I, I said before, as a ship drops its anchor to stop it from drifting, it keeps that chain as short as possible to hold it in the same place. 
If you let out too much chain, the ship still drifts in a circle and it can feel unsteady. It can feel unanchored, even though it is. And so for us to be anchored, we know that one end is secured. It's guaranteed. It's certain in the promises of God. And it then becomes our responsibility to make sure that we are keeping the chain as short as possible so that we don't drift. Remember, we're talking about how to stop drift. My last point this morning is be active. Once you've recognised you're drifting, do something about it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear something like that, okay, do something about it. I'm like, okay, cool, give me the three-step program so I know what I need to do. Yeah? Am I in good company this morning? Have a look at John 14, verses 23 and 24. Jesus said, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. What's the one word in that scripture that stands out to you? What's the one word? For me, as I read that scripture, often the one word that stands out to me is obey. I find that when I'm drifting, that I feel like I need to obey. I feel like I know what God is wanting me to do. And so if I just obey, then I can get back to where God is. I feel like that even though because I've drifted, I need to take my way back to God. But obey is not the most important word in this scripture. Love is. You see, the issue is not so much one of my obedience, it's one of my love. If I've drifted away from God, it wasn't because I was trying to be disobedient, it was that I let my love go cold. And so how do we be active? We do what is needed to rekindle the love that we have for God. How do we stop the drift? We need to work on our love. The scripture says that we repent. Repent literally means turn 180 degrees. And so if you've been drifting away from God today, turn 180 degrees. Face him again. Let your love rekindle. As I said earlier, don't lose the high view of God. Let your love grow again. As the rest of the band comes, I want to take a moment right here and right now because we all drift. We're all affected by currents of different reasons. And right here and right now, there is an opportunity of turning back to God and allowing our love to grow again. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 